Welcome, everyone, to Two Guys to the Dark Tower King, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McCurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. In this episode, we'll finish our coverage of The Eyes of the Dragon, sections 94 through 142. We'll also cover our final thoughts on the book. Let's start the show! The Eyes of the Dragon concludes as most of the main characters converge on the needle after an epic snowstorm. Plans are put into place. Some succeed. Some go astray. Events occur. And everything wraps up, if not happily ever after, at least in a way that makes sense within the story. So Jay, we're concluding our book. Lots of action in this section as everything converges. People are doing stuff. It's exciting. But we're going to focus on sort of the, the big themes that came out from us. And we wanted to start with this idea of duty versus loyalty. And we've already talked a little bit about this, especially when it came into play with Pena, mm-hmm. who has sort of struggled with this role as chief justice and what's good for the kingdom versus what's good for himself and what's good for the king that that is ruling. And he's finally made the decision to to join what could be the rebels. Yep. It comes up first in this section in the note that Dennis writes, mm-hmm. where he realizes that even though he serves Peter's brother as butler, he needs to, because his dad has told him, do one last good thing for his king. And beyond that, he's become a friend to Peter, and he's not just simply a servant or a butler, but he is Peter's friend and realizes that Peter is the king. That note almost makes Peter cry, right? Because he realizes, like, I've got allies out there. He has been under this illusion that he is the only one working to attempt an escape, Mm -hmm. and he's unclear what's going to happen after he lowers himself on the rope that he's been creating. He doesn't know what the next steps are. He just knows he has to escape, but now he has an ally. Yeah, and it's important to see that he started off as the person who discovered the evidence, I guess, of Mm. Peter's supposed guilt, right? He found the box, and he found the the smoke coming out of the the hiding place in the wall. So Dennis has since that day blamed himself for Peter's incarceration. Mm. And because of pressure from the family, pressure from society, he kind of kept his head down, kept his mouth shut. And ultimately because he became Thomas's butler, he had to just always walk that line of do I follow my loyalty to my original master king or or do i do my duty to the new king to right the society that i am now part of with peter convicted and imprisoned and as enough time has gone on and as enough new evidence has come to light and as more people have started to rally around peter's cause that helped dennis to tip the scale from duty to his new king back to loyalty to his original. Right. And uh, that comes through in in really big, almost as a shout in that letter that Dennis writes to Peter. Yeah. And it's contrasted later on when we almost have this like Scooby-Doo running around the castle situation where Peter's going one way with his friends and Flag's going this way with his way and they pass by a soldier. Played by Casey Kasem? Yeah. 
<laughs> Mama Cass, they, the the soldier they call a goshawk, uh, his rank, and he knows he should stop Peter because he's escaped. But then Peter pulls out that voice of his again to say, hey, I'm your king. Let me pass. And rather than acknowledge Peter as king, he's just like, hey, whatever. I don't want to get involved in royal matters. Just do your own thing. And he sort mm-hmm. of throws up his duty at that point and really shows no loyalty. And that's a cause of Flag and Thomas's letting down of the kingdom. The fact that they don't inspire any sort of loyalty has made the people below them not have any sense of duty. So we see that most of the soldiers are drunk while on duty. They're not going through their tasks. They're not guarding like they used to. Mm -hmm. They're not watching anything. And so you could see how the kingdom's falling apart because not only is there not any duty, it's because there's no loyalty. And Peter, on the other hand, is engendering this loyalty amongst his subjects. And that's what part of what makes him king. Yeah. I think it's an interesting contrast between the the way that the soldier's action to say, you know what, uh, just count me out. Peter's reaction to that is, I'll remember you and reward you for supporting me, the true king. Right. But it wasn't really loyalty or duty that he did. He just kind of didn't want to be involved. Yeah. He was just abstaining from duty. He was abstaining from loyalty. Whereas Flag said... I will mark you as a traitor and I will come back and punish you for what you have done for that abstinence of duty, that abstinence of loyalty. So even though what this soldier did was probably the worst reaction, <laughs> it would have been more heroic. It would have been more fairy tale ish if the, the soldier said, oh yeah, I also recognize you as the true king. I see the truth and strength in your character and I will allow you to pass because of my loyalty to you. That would have been good. Yeah. Flag would have had the same reaction. Peter could have had the same reaction. And the soldier wouldn't have been kind of a a middling nothing reaction, right? Yeah. But instead he's just like, nah, not me. But Peter's still okay with it and Flag is still not okay with it. So I, I like your point though that because of how poorly the kingdom has been run, there is no reason to have duty and absolutely no reason to have loyalty. Right. And you're left with nothing. And that's what that soldier represents. Yeah. Let's switch topics a little bit. We get this final showdown finally with Peter and Flag in King Roland's old chambers. Mm. And Peter realizes that the game's afoot and that Flag is going to be defeated in some way. And the reason that these people are turning towards Peter, whether it be Dennis or Naomi and Ben, is because they realize that Flag is not all that he seems. Peter explains this by saying, yes, you forgot. I think that sooner or later, things like you, meaning Flag, always begin to repeat themselves because things like you know only a very few simple tricks. After a while, someone always sees through them. I think that is all that saves us ever. And this whole idea that evil repeats itself, but it does so in such a way that if a kingdom can remember, if a people can remember and see through it, that's how they can prevent it. If not, it's just going to keep happening. History is doomed to repeat itself. And is this just King saying, hey, let's all become history majors? Or is there more to it, Jay? (laughs) I think that there's definitely some of that going on here. I mean, King has always been a proponent of 
the arts and English and just learning. I mean, he was a teacher himself before he became a, a published author. Right. I know that King values expertise and education. And it's really that the cliche of those who do not study history are doomed to repeat it. The reason why Peter is able to overcome Flag, at least in part due to the fact that he realizes he gets access to the history of Flag's past performance when he finds that locket and that note written in blood. But Flag has done not only similar things, but the exact same thing in the past. Yep. And we got that kind of overview of Flag's history with the kingdom earlier in the book. And it seems that Flag has come multiple times throughout history every couple hundred years or every couple generations. And he comes in a different guise and he comes with a different, I guess, operating procedure. Like he was a, an executioner at one point, but it seems like he's been coming back to Delane so many times for so long that he's actually forgotten his own past or at least the details of it. I think it's it's really bad strategy for someone who's trying to tear down the fabric of this society to forget that he'd actually done this before yep. and failed. It's interesting that he has this repetition and it also sort of takes a, away a little bit of Flag's maybe power, mm. like standing as a true threat. If he really is so restricted in the handful of tricks that he has at his disposal, is he as powerful as we've been led to believe, both within this story and in the larger Dark Tower universe? Because Flag or Walter or, or whichever identity you're thinking of at the time, he seems like he's pretty high up in the hierarchy of evil, powerful beings, right? That's true. So is that same person who can jump from world to world and kind of jump around in time and change his appearance and really have some pretty profound effects on, on the Dark Tower universe around him, is he going to forget what he did 400 years ago and just repeat it? Yep. I don't know. And part of it could be that he could because... His operating plan, as you called it, is to ruin the society. And then when it builds up, ruin it again. And as part of that ruination of society, it seems as if they've lost some of that history. Yep. Like nobody remembers that Vanya and the, what happened then. Um, it was so far in the past. And so, you know, I think part of this is that King is saying that it's the kingdom's duty, the culture's duty to understand this history and, and keep it written and keep it down. I mean, without spoiling our big next book, I think a lot of that is what's important about the stand, right? The keeping the knowledge that a society has built together so that they can rebuild from the ashes. Right. That's one of the ways you can defeat evil is by realizing that there's only these few things that they can do. And it's not that this evil is cunning. It's just that it's got these tricks. And if you can see through them, then you can stop it. Evil in some ways represents chaos or is represented by chaos. It's easy to turn order into chaos, but it's very difficult to convert chaos back into order. Right. Uh, unless you have the user manual, if you will. Yeah. The history books, the literate society that has those history books is aware of what the contents of those history books. Without that, you'll never go back to order from chaos, or at least it, it'll take a lot longer and it'll be different every time. And different might not be bad, but you don't want to always start from scratch. Right. 
And I think a lot of it is why authors like Stephen King and, you know, George Orwell with 1984. I mean, Orwell wrote 1984 as a, look, here's what could happen and here's how it could happen. Mm -hmm. You need to know this so you can not let it happen again in the future. It's why one of the first things that dictators do is get rid of libraries and intellectuals and press and books and all those things that could be used as knowledge because that's the truth getting out is what's um, harmful for that, those things. And so it seems like it's repeating itself here with this discussion of flag and Peter's called calls him on it. And that's another reason why Peter is elevated to a king because he can see through these things. Mm. He can speak to it and he can talk to it and, and try to stop it. He could say all that, but he still needs his brother to be the one holding the holding the faux hammer and and putting it through uh, Flag's Flag's face. So Jay, all of that sort of leads to a question, which is: if this evil is embodied in someone who is creative and tries new things, would that evil become more competent and be able to defeat the good guys? I'd say it would have a much stronger chance of doing so, because that's what Peter's speech to Flag at the end is telling us, right? The reason why Flag isn't going to succeed this time and why he has failed in the past is because he only knows a few tricks. He is an incompetent evil. Right. So if you turn that around to what you asked in your question, would competent evil be successful? I, I think the chances are far greater. If Flag's scheme this time had been something entirely novel, then it would have perhaps not been noticed. Perhaps Peter wouldn't have picked up on it in the way that he did. Perhaps Pena wouldn't have had his doubts the way that he did. And perhaps ultimately the whole story would have just gone Flag's way. Right. And we would have had a very different ending to this story. Yes. But that would be interesting because we've talked about how King and you and I, along with him, admire competent characters, you know, smart characters doing smart things. So what we're left here with is on the page, Flag is not a smart character doing smart things, at least as smart as he could be. Right. You know, some of his schemes seem pretty complex and long con type of things, but he also seems to kind of be blind to certain things. His, he has blind spots because of his vanity and because and of his ego. Even his magic only goes so far. You know, he can control spiders and stuff. <laughs> and he has a two-headed parrot. But when it really comes down to it, he doesn't know that Peter's making this rope. He doesn't know that Peter has allies in the kingdom and that are actually working hard and risking their lives and, and their well-being to, uh, to help him. I guess that's a long way of saying he'd have a better chance of, of succeeding, in my opinion. I think so as well. I think that's a good segue because one of the ways Flag ruined the kingdom at one point and had a whole plan in place and he was doing a good job and then the king suddenly died. This was hundreds of years ago. Mm. And in his place came that new queen. And one of the things that the new queen did was realizing she had to get people back to work and getting the economy working. She put this make work program together in which people just created napkins, right? Mm-hmm. Thousands and thousands of napkins. And ultimately, that is what foils Flag's plan this time around, is those napkins. Mm -hmm. And so you can see how 
flag has sort of been, become the instrument of o- his own destruction, which is something that we talked a little bit about earlier, how we thought that that's really an excellent way in which a author can show a, a character getting his comeuppance is by having him himself be the own instrument of his destruction. And in, in part, that's due to the napkins, right? If, if those yep. napkins didn't exist, Peter wouldn't have been able to try to get out. He wouldn't have had any place to fall. All these things would have happened because of the napkins. So you can see how Flagg's earlier plan is the exact cause for his failure this time around as well. Hmm. So I wonder if Flagg comes back 400 years from now, what part of this plan is going to disrupt his next plan? Yes. Is it going to be that weird axe? <laughs> or that they're just not going to allow wizards anymore? Like, nope, sorry, no wizards. Wizards are done. <laughs> We're done with wizards. No spells. He's going to have to switch back to some other... Or everyone takes antidotes all the time. <laughs> yeah. There's vaccinations against every type of poison. Iocane powder and the like. So the question around this, though, Jay, is that the napkins, which, as we know, was originally King's title for this book, sort of puts Peter's plan like Peter's plan wasn't going to work, was it? No, it it didn't work. It flat out didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Right. Like he, he went through years and years of taking these tiny threads and stranding them together and creating this rope that would hold his weight. And as he got. Not even halfway down his rope, he realized, "Uh uh-oh, it's going to break and I'm going to die. And this was all for naught. Mm -hmm. It's such that even Flag says, hey, I've got this axe and I could cut this rope, but I'm not going to bother because it's going to break anyways and you're going to fall and you're going to be the (laughs) instrument of own your destruction. So what about Peter's plan? I mean, is he that great of a king if he can't even come up with a plan to escape a tower? I mean, I don't know if that's a king qualifying quality to be able to escape from prison. After false uh, accusations have been carried out in the court of law? I, I don't know. Well, I would say that Peter's plan was very intricate, took a long time, but based on based on the performance of that plan, it was not very elegant. Or perhaps it was too elegant for its own good, mm. because he's trying to make a rope that would hold his weight using the minimum number of strands of, of the napkins so that no one would notice and that he could he could work towards a longer rope versus a stronger rope, right? Right. However thick the rope was meant that it was going to take that much longer to reach the ground with the rope, right? So I think he just miscalculated how thick that rope needed to be. I'd say Peter's plan was maybe just too elegant for its own good. Now, on the other hand, Stephen King is the author, has a perfect plan for this book. So he introduces napkins early on in the book with Peter's mother talking about them. Mm -hmm. He wanted to call the book The Napkins, and everything comes full circle. And that elegance of this makes me wonder, were we robbed that this book wasn't called The Napkins? I mean, King had obviously had the setup, like, napkins are important. Kings need napkins. Peter's going to take the napkins and create his escape route. Even though it's going to fail, it's going to be the napkins that ultimately save him as his friends bring the napkins around. It's like, napkins, napkins, napkins. Why is this book called The Eyes of the Dragon? It really should have been called The Napkins, shouldn't it have? No. <laughs> That's not a good title for a book about any any particular subject. Yeah, so all of this is ruined by some marketing type person, I'm sure, at the publisher, right? It was like, we can't sell a book called The Napkins by Stephen King. Can't we make it something cool like The Eyes of the Dragon so we can at least put a dragon on the cover and sell that? Because what are you going to do? Put a napkin on the cover of this book as the cover art? 
I mean, they could have called it events happen. <laughs> there you go. Stuff <laughs> happens. <laughs> Therein lies a plot. I mean, napkins would have been very much on the nose. And even if the word napkins could find a suitable place on the cover of a book, I think it's too on the nose. It, it shines too bright a light on King's elegant use of napkins as symbol, as metaphor, and as actual plot device. They, they work their way into the fabric, see what I did there, oh. of the story in so many ways that it would be like too much to call it the napkins. I, I, it's too direct. Yeah. So maybe it was the marketing team saying napkins isn't going to sell books. We need something catchier. Or, or maybe King and his editor were like, yeah, it's a little too on the nose. I guess. I'm a big fan of when an author brings everything together like this, though. Yeah. And so for me, when all of this connected in such a way, I was like, yay, good job, Stephen King. That's what I want to see. <laughs> there were literally no loose ends. <laughs> Except at the end of Peter's rope. Oh, yes, that's true. All right, Jay, we've gotten to the end of the book. I think we need to look at what's left from a Dark Tower Thinny perspective. Well, the first thing I noticed in this section of the book was more roses. Hmm. Part of a line that referred to the pretty dusky red of autumn roses. And as I said before, it's probably not much of a thinny, but anytime I see King mention roses in a book, think of the Dark Tower. Yep. Well, for me, I was hoping that at some point there would be a Billy Bumbler walking around Delane to let us know that a Stark Blast was coming. Mm. Because that snowstorm seemed similar to a Stark Blast to me with the the rage and the power of it coming in is all the villagers and people of Delane are scared by this epic snowstorm that comes to pass. Absolutely. And I guarantee that if King had invented the Billy Bumbler by this point in his writing career, this town would have been filthy with Billy Bumblers. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been everywhere. Instead of the rats, instead of everything, it just would have been Billy Bumblers left and right. And I would have loved it. Because it would have been like, this one's Oi's ancestor or some nonsense like that, you know? We need Oi prequels. Yeah, exactly. The Oi family tree. <laughs> As opposed to the Autumn Roses line that I mentioned earlier, I think there's a much stronger Dark Tower thinny. There's a line about how the dungeon gate was on the northeast side of the needle, and on the southwest side was a little castle entrance known as the Peddler's Gate. And a straight diagonal line could have been drawn between the dungeon gate and the peddler's gate. And at the exact midpoint of that line was the needle itself, of course. Mm. It sounds an awful lot like the Dark Tower and the various gates of the beams, right? That's right. Yeah. If you're going to bring up the beams, which all things serve, you're bringing up Dark Tower thinnies. Absolutely. That one's a pretty strong one. So I just wanted to point out that Flag works in dreams similar to how Randall Flag in the stand works in dreams, where he can hear people's names, he can travel through them, other people can see through them, just very similar. So right around at the, the very end of the story, when Thomas is going to go off on this quest, 
he decides he's going to go find Flag. He says, he's out there somewhere, in this world or in some other. He's out there. I know it. I feel his poison in the wind. And the fact that Thomas is acknowledging that there might be other worlds than this Mm -hmm. certainly sounds like a Dark Tower thinny. Yep. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's aware of them, but it fits with, of course, what we know about the Dark Tower and Flag, but it almost feels like Thomas has a perhaps an instinct for this, that there's something about Flag and something about the the world that Delane exists in. It's possible to run so far away that you go to a different world. Right. He's saying, like, I will chase after Flag no matter where he goes, even if it's to another world. Maybe he's going to go to, uh, you know, the world where Callahan is or the world where Eddie Dean is or something. Yeah. Well, we get a piece of this in the Dark Tower, the drawing of the three. So there's a short passage. One of these men had been a creature the gunslinger believed to be a demon himself, a creature that pretended to be a man and called itself Flag. He had seen him only briefly, and that had been near the end as chaos and the final crash approached his land. Hot on his heels had come two young men who looked desperate and yet grim, men named Dennis and Thomas. Whoa. These three had crossed only a tiny part of what had been a confused and confusing time in the gunslinger's life, but he would never forget seeing Flag change a man who had irritated him into a howling dog. And that's from the pusher section, chapter three, Roland Takes His Medicine. Hmm. So these books are directly linked. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Dennis and Thomas are directly named in the drawing of the three, right? That's about as uh, thick of a thinny as it gets. Yeah. So I think it's a good question, though, is are they contemporaneous in time or have they switched over worlds at some point? You know, he knows he's out there in some other world. Perhaps Dennis and Thomas have wandered through to another world where Roland is, or maybe it is still part of their same one and they're in a time period that is contemporaneous with Roland. I guess we'll never know unless King writes uh, that book. But I would love to read The Continuing Adventures of Dennis and Thomas. Yeah, that sounds like a fun story. All right. If we missed any Dark Tower thinnies, be sure to let us know. Now we want to take a moment and thank our patrons who support our show and get access to exclusive Patreon content, such as bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower to learn more. Jay, any new patrons? Yes. New patron Sarah E. has joined us at the apprentice level. So, Jay, we've got a lot of fun stuff planned for our patrons with our bonus podcast episode. So be sure to check those out. We did a couple on different short stories by King, and we've got some interesting ones planned for the coming months. Yes, definitely worth checking out. So uh, check us out at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower to learn more. Well, what sort of fun stuff do you have, Jay? My big fun stuff item is that I finally got an answer to what Peter's rope would look like as a movie prop Mm. because there's a line that says flag waved a hand in front of his face, dissipating the heat for a moment, a rope, not exactly, but there was something, something as gossamer as a strand of spider web. And yet it bore his weight. This is when flag was looking into his seeing crystal and checking out what Peter was currently up to or was about to do in the very near future. And He could see Peter 
lowering himself down hand over hand, like reverse Batman style. <laughs> but he couldn't see the rope. And so basically, that's the answer to my question from the previous episode that I was wondering, is the rope just really thin like a shoelace? Or is it like so thin it's like a spider web that you could, you could barely even see it? And apparently it's the spider web option. Yes. I think that lends even more to the magical fantasy style of this, this story. I would agree with that. It's also probably why the rope broke. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that too. Yeah. So I will say that for fun stuff, I just love all the pieces with the dog, Naomi's dog that's following the scent of Dennis to the castle and then gets the scent of flag along the way. Like all those pieces from the dog's perspective are just great as he sees this like electric blue smell mm. that's so strong that he's picked up from Dennis from his hideout uh, in the abandoned house all the way back to the, the castle and through the sewers. And it's just great. And his whole, the tall man and the girl and the affection he has for those characters. It's just brilliant how King has just nailed that dog perspective as I would imagine it. Yeah. And there's even a touch of, you kind of joked about it earlier, sort of some of Oi's personality mm. in this, because the dog is given a level of agency. We're actually in the dog's head to be aware of what the dog's thinking. And Oi is a dog-like creature who can talk. Right. And we are given many occasions when we are in the Oi's eye view of things and experiencing the story the way Oi is experiencing it. A lot of this reminded me of those passages in the Dark Tower when we're right there with Oi and we're figuring stuff out with Oi and he's saying, is it ache? Is it ache? You know, where's ache? You know, and he has a little bit more vocabulary than right than this dog, but it's still kind of like that the boy, the girl, the you know kind of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of early echoes to what would become boy in later later stories. Yeah, I also wanted to mention his fun stuff. Just Randall Flag turning into Jack Torrance <laughs> at the end of this, as he's just like storming around this castle with an axe, just trying to get to the kids that he wants to kill it's he just totally seems to go insane and he's knocking at doors and come out come out wherever you are like you just get that sense of it that i could almost see flag limping along dragging his foot as he's coming after peter yelling stop swinging the bat wendy yeah stop swinging the bat my final fun stuff for this book is the characters think of flag as some horrible it and it is even capitalized of course, this makes me think of Pennywise, and in It, the kids refer to him as It because he takes on a different form, a different horror to every character. It's whatever scares that person the most is what they see. In the movies and the TV adaptation, it is a clown a lot of the times because it gives us, the audience, something consistent to, to wrap our minds around. But in the book, it's it's always different. And so there, there is no defining shape or form for this creature of fear. And I think it's a really good description of Flag. Flag changes his form. He changes his name. He, he changes how other people perceive him all the time to suit his needs. So in a sense, he shares that in common with the it creature. Mm. We know that Flag is not the same creature because we know more about the Dark Tower universe 
than King even knew when he wrote this book. But I thought it was an interesting parallel to other works by King and other creatures that King has terrorized us, his fans, with for many years. Yes. And these two books are really close in time, publication date-wise. So, a little crossover action there. All right. Well, let's get into our final thoughts on the book, Jay, like we normally do. Readers on Goodreads give this book 3.93 stars, which is very high, and Library Thring 3.81 stars. So, overall, high rankings. I was struck, though, by the contemporary reviews of this book and just how overwhelmingly positive they were. Here's a little something from New York Times. They call it a a pelicud fairy tale. This new work is more elegant than any other novel Mr. King has written so far. He has used the full authority of his talent as a yarn spinner to create the atmosphere of a made-up bedtime story. The narrative address is that of a parent to a child, which you and I had talked about before, how Mm -hmm. he has that feeling. I think we called it grandparent to grandchild, but the same idea. Yep. They continue, the cadence of the book lends it to reading aloud, and the narrative has the intimate goofiness of an extemporaneous story told to a child, which again, we're right on here. Finally, they say, the eyes of the dragon also addresses the child within the adult. To the author's credit, it is written so simply and so honestly that the prose is only rarely sloppy or jarring, which I think they really nailed it here. I mean, this is a lot of what we were saying about how this book feels to us as the reader. For sure. Publishers Weekly said, King's Legion of fans are likely to find that a restrained maturity marks the differences between this stylish, successful effort at fantasy and his earlier, sometimes overwrought writings. <laughs> Interesting. You'd like to think that, but I think King's fans actually did not like this book quite as much as his other stuff because it was such a departure from the horror. But Publishers Weekly continues, surprisingly, Eyes is a gentle story, despite violence, gore, and his standard vulgarity because King has ingeniously interposed himself between reader and narrative as if he were telling the tale aloud, with a soothing cadence particularly audible in the evocative prose. Hmm. Kirkus, who we've mentioned before, says this is an adventure fantasy for young adults or very old prepubescence, and among King's most accomplished works, some of King's smoothest writing and slickest effects with the usual supercosmic horror scaled down to reasonably familiar villainy, though the sales, one assumes, will be supercosmic. Again, I think over positive on this stuff. I never hear the eyes of the dragon talked about as amongst King's most accomplished works. I think it's totally left out of the story. And I have even talked to some King fans who were not even aware of this book's existence. It seems to have been lost over the last 35 years. Yeah. And I wouldn't rate it as one of his most accomplished works either. No, but, but he did some very specific things very deliberately and succeeded at all of them from a, a, a craftsmanship perspective, this is, I, I think, one of one of his most successful turns at at the wheel. But as far as just being like an overall like better story than some of the other things he's done, or have more quality than some of the other things he's done, it's up there, but it's not at the top. No. And finally, People Magazine, who I don't think we've ever used People before as a review, but. They have another positive one. Many are likely to be held hostage by this delightful fairy tale. Dragon is a gentle fable related in tempered tones by a knowing narrator. And they get right to the heart of the matter of what their readers are interested in this quote. Yet Dragon is not just a children's book. How many children's books mention flaccid penises, as this one does on its third page? Dragon is a fully realized novel capable of captivating readers of all ages. 
While it represents a departure for King, it is not completely divorced from the rest of his work. Dragon contains one of his most familiar themes, that evil is cyclical, and while it can be vanquished, it never really vanishes. With this compelling tale from another time and genre, King proves he is as versatile as he is prolific. And again, that idea that evil is cyclical comes back again and again. Yep. Most notably in uh, the Dark Tower itself, as it wraps itself up with that wholly cyclical nature. Whether or not good will ever come on top, we don't know, right? Exactly. So, Jade, I think that leads us to the conclusion of this book. What are your overall thoughts? Well, as I was just kind of hinting at a moment ago, I think this is a really amazing book. I enjoyed it a lot. It took me a little while to sort of warm up to it. And I think it was because of King's style that he was writing it with this voice of the narrator. As one of the reviews put it, he was putting himself between the narrator and the reader Mm. almost directly. And it took me a little bit of time to grow accustomed to that. But once I had, and once I kind of saw what he was doing, I was able to fully embrace that and move forward with the story and really, really enjoy it. I am really glad we came back to visit this book for the podcast. I enjoyed reading it a lot. It is one of King's better stories for all of the craftsmanship that he put into this, that he was doing something different than he'd done before, unusual in general. And I think he pulled it off really, really well. Yeah, I would agree. I like what you said about the intricacies of how he put it all together. The whole way it ends with everything coming together nicely. That's something that really makes me happy. And this book really does shine a light on a lot of the themes that are in his other books. The evil cyclical part we talked about, the meta aspect of King sort of inserting himself into this book, but with such a light touch. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what was missing for the Dark Tower, right? Like it's so heavy handed in the Dark Tower. And again, a lot of events changed and obviously his incident with getting hit by the van and almost dying, like all that plays into it. But like, it's so heavy handed there with King becoming a character where in here, He's there, but you can't see him. But there's enough there to realize like, oh, he's a part of this, but in an interesting way. And obviously, the other connections just between the characters of Flag and the Kingdom of Delane and how this all ties back into the Dark Tower, I think it really illuminates that book from a different perspective. And it's sad for me that King really hasn't done other writing like this, Hmm. that he's not done the sequel with Thomas and Dennis going off on their adventure or something else that's along the sort of fairy tale piece. I think the closest he's come is probably the wind through the keyhole, which has a lot of these elements of storytelling and fantasy, but with a lighter touch and not quite as horrific, but that whole fairy tale feel to it. I think that that's probably the closest he's come. And if you remember, we really like that book. Yeah. I particularly enjoyed it. So I think he might be missing an opportunity in getting back to that. And one of the things that was great about Wind Through the Keyhole was that it had a very specific style and structure that King decided, I'm going to write this nested story and have story inside story inside story. And that's what he built. And he did it really, really well. And that's, I think, the only time he's ever done that. Um, Maybe not in... To that extent, I think. Yeah. This is another example of King just deciding, I'm going to write a, a story with this structure in this mode and then execute on it perfectly. Just flexing his 
his skills, right? It's great stuff. Yep. Well, hopefully you all enjoyed it as well and um, had a chance to read along with us. We had a good time and I hope you did as well. And if there's anything that we missed or your thoughts on it, we'd love to hear from you. So that's going to be all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media is available in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Next episode, join us as we cover the Dark Tower-related novella, Everything's Eventual, found in the collection of the same title. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. What sort of fun stuff do you have, Jay? Uh, fun time was canceled. <laughs> there is no fun time.